Hello, friends. I am uh, Preston Sprinkle, and I'm here with my friend Tim Mackey, a fellow uh, Bible scholar, <laughs> man of the church, uh, and if I could say not your traditional kind of Bible scholar, you'll see what I mean uh, as we progress in this conversation. Uh, but you're listening to Theology in the Raw, where we like to talk about tough subjects in the Christian faith, and also like to interview some interesting people doing interesting work around the Christian world, and I am here with Tim Mackey. Tim, thanks so much for being on Theology in the Wrong. Yeah, absolutely, Preston. It's good to talk. So uh, you are, from my vantage point, most widely known for your work in the Bible Project. I mean, this has been a... Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, cannot, I cannot think of a greater gift to the church mm. than the Bible Project right now. I mean, this mm. is just such an incredible resource used okay. by... A such a wide variety of people. I mean, I talk to people who would be more mm-hmm. quote unquote progressive, people who are very conservative, everybody in between. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves the Bible project. Like, uh-huh. this is just like, it's such a gift for the church. So, uh, yeah. just, to, just to get us going, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are mm-hmm. as a, a, a man of God, a, a scholar, a pastor, and then also how you got into the Bible project? And we'll yeah. go from there. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. All right. I grew up in Portland. Um, not known as a paragon of Christian anything, <laughs> <It's> American <laughs> yeah, culture, right. whatever. Um, but it's, it's an American city on the West Coast. Uh, so yeah, I grew up here skateboarding. My parents were <laughs> Christians. Uh, I didn't really like church, and I despised most of it. I don't know. From a pretty early really? age, yeah, I, I I still don't know quite why. I think it was just, I got hooked. I got my first skateboard at 11 years old and I was, it was hook, line and sinker, whole deal. Yeah. Um, and the whole ethos of that is like, you know, just for, you know, stick it to the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my parents represent the man, and of course, so does Jesus and the whole deal. So, so were, were you raised in the church though? Was it? Were you uh, our family church? attended church, and okay. they picked their battles with me. You know, by the time I was in my sure. early like thirteen, fourteen, and so they just quit making me go, except like on holidays and family stuff, okay. that kind of thing. So yeah, I didn't participate. No youth group camp or anything like that. Um, so. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. So it was actually through um, uh, an outreach ministry to skateboarders, at, um, a, a skate park, a public skate park, but that was sponsored and run by a church, um, that I became a follower of Jesus when I was twenty, almost twenty. And wow. um, I had just been going to the park for years. Somebody every week stands up and gives a Jesus talk, and uh, yeah, just years. Jesus worked on me. He became really beautiful to me, and then uh, unavoidable. <laughs> I found I had to make a decision about him. And so there you go. That uh, was a pretty radical kind of conversion experience in terms of the trajectory in my life. And so Multnomah uh, University, it was Multnomah Bible College then, was across the street from that warehouse skate park oh, in wow. Northeast Portland. Yeah. And so I had a couple friends. Um, we'd all gone to skate church. We all became Christians around the same time start following Jesus. And so we signed up for classes together and um, a number of us went overseas. Like within a year, we went and spent a summer in the jungle with Bible translators, <laughs> like Wycliffe, you know, like super, yeah, yeah. super intense. And I came back, I was like, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do whatever. And so I signed up for Greek. 
<laughs> naturally. But this community was uh, that I was became you know learned how to follow Jesus in. It was like awesome people. It's like just incredible community. Um, it was the full like mid nineties jars of clay acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> read your Bible a ton. Memorize whole sections of the. It was awesome. It was like it was awesome. I loved it. And uh, it was totally new to me, and it was all in skateboard culture with my friends. Anyway, so I became a Bible nerd, got hooked, um, and with a couple of these friends, we signed up for Greek and then Hebrew. And really, the key was I was introduced by one professor and then a few others to the Bible as Israelite Jewish literature, mm. that, yeah. that Jewish literature and a Jewish Jesus is how... Um, this God has revealed himself to humanity. And that was so odd. <laughs> it wasn't like the package that I was familiar with from my parents, the Christian right. belief package. And, but it was way more interesting. And so the history, language, culture, there you go. Yeah. So pretty much since then, yeah, then I went into PhD studies uh, and got my PhD in, in a Jewish studies department at the University of Wisconsin. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That so if people know that that is a really high powered Semitic yeah. studies program. Yeah, right? it was like you, it was the deep end of the pool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it was awesome. I wanted to get outside the typical kind of Christian world for theological yeah. education, and this wasn't a theology degree. It was language and history. Right. Yeah. And uh, there were Jews and Christians of all stripes there. It was wonderful, hmm. and. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to, I just basically read nonstop for seven years, <laughs> but it was wonderful. I, you've done, you know, you've, yeah. you've, um, you know how that goes. And so, but what I found was personally, when I started to teach in a university setting, I did student teaching. I didn't like it, and hmm. I didn't like that I had to be diplomatic in how I talked about my own faith in a public university setting, yeah. and so. You know, I'm most of the way through my PhD, and I'm like, I don't think I want to be a professor at a university. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? So, and uh, but an opportunity to start teaching at our church we were attending opened up, and then that Black, just, Black Hawk, right? Yeah, Black, Black Hawk. yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. Black Hawk Church. I, I spoke there a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, I heard about <laughs> yeah. that. Well, there you go. Yeah. 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 So really healthy, awesome church. Uh, it was really oriented towards uh, making an impact in the university and integrating into the life of students and faculty. Mm -hmm. And so I just yeah. taught classes at the church to basically to graduate students and faculty. So I just started teaching biblical theology and had a blast, learned how to preach. And there you go. So then I just, I've been on this path of, I don't know what I am. Am I pastor, am I professor? I stopped mm. trying to figure that out and just yeah. enjoyed uh, be, trying to be a bridge figure. Because I yeah. I love I love biblical scholarship, but I don't want to participate in the career mm -hmm. culture. <laughs> oh, oh that's so good. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great word. Yeah. yeah. So it. anyway, there you go. So the Bible Project happened um, through a friend of mine that I met at Multnomah. While I was reading for seven years, he had started a marketing company, mm -hmm. um, John Collins, and yeah. um, and then yeah, he he happened upon the, the medium of the short animated video yeah. and so he had honed that he had built out a small animation studio hmm. and then when I moved back to Portland um, to teach part-time at Western part-time and then a pastor 
at a church here in Portland, he pitched the idea to me of like, hey, I make these videos. You're a Bible nerd. We're friends. Let's make some videos and see what happens. <laughs> no way. So it was really, truly like just kind of a harebrained idea. And um, we spent a year and a half, just a side project, making the first two videos. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, oh, wait, what day is today? May 15th. Ah, so we turned four years old um, on Saturday. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Four years old? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I thought it was like eight years old at least or something. Wow, four years yeah. old. Yeah, four. Yeah, in terms of the YouTube channel went live. Um, wow. So John, I mean, so here's the thing. I'm the Bible nerd, and John loves biblical theology and loves to talk. He's an incessant yeah. question asker, so thorough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so just the, I don't know the chemistry of our friendship. We just love to talk and learn yeah. from each other and learn from our conversations, and so. Um, the videos are basically just a distillation of conversations that John and I are having through the whole Bible themes, books of the Bible. And right. um, we now, and it was his idea to do crowdfunded. So instead okay. of um, making our own website and you have to pay to watch, right. uh, okay. we'll just ask, wave to people at the end of every video <laughs> that's for free on YouTube and then just ask, hey, if this was helpful to you, help us make some more. And um, that has and that's worked out well, right? Yeah, overwhelmingly. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot of people in the world who, who care, who who really love it when they're actually able to understand the Bible on its terms. <laughs> can, can, if you're not if you're not comfortable yeah. giving the numbers, I'm totally fine. But yeah. I mean, I, I I know a tiny bit about the, that world, mm -hmm. and I know those videos are not cheap. Can you, oh, sure. would you be comfortable? Yeah. Could you give a ballpark yep. on yep. what a typical five to 10 minute, five mm -hmm. to seven minute Bible mm -hmm. project video might cost from A to Z? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on, we make a lot of different styles. So some we make that are basically just, you're watching a big illustrated poster diagram get drawn yeah. while I give like a superpower lecture. Uh, so those <laughs> those come in at about like eight to ten thousand dollars for, okay. and those are typically seven to eight minutes long. Our, okay. our our five minute ish full color animated ones, um, depending on the style. Sometimes it's stick people. Sometimes it's full blown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, range anywhere from like fifteen to thirty thousand dollars peak. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it, it was first John and I just volunteered. It was just a side project. And every, as our monthly support grew, it was just about keeping artists on for more and more of their time to just be able to dedicate their work. And then we kind of hit this tipping point about two and a half years ago where we could then begin to float both John and I coming, dedicating more time and float, okay. the, you know, just the organization as a sure, whole. Yeah. And uh, so, and now, yeah, it's remarkable. We have uh, about 9,000 monthly supporters now. Wow. And um, we're going to hit a million YouTube subscribers by the end of this year. I don't wow. even understand what that means. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, so yeah, it's been a remarkable yeah. journey. Really, really amazing. For, it's truly a team effort. I, I get to be a nerd and read and write and talk with John and then help on the front end of storyboarding and some visual development. And then once 
we get those things locked in, I just let the artists take over because they think of stuff way better than I could yeah, ever think of. Yeah. It's been really fun. So is it, this is your full-time job, right? Or are you still pastoring? Um, yeah. So as of a year ago, a little over a year ago, I, yeah, I switched over to make this my full-time gig. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And, and you guys have, I mean, you have, you have a video on every single book of the Bible. Is that correct? Yeah, we have. Yeah, I think it's 115 videos total right now, something like 115, that. 115, okay. So, yeah, every book of the Bible, we have about a dozen biblical theme videos. Okay. Theme. Um, we have a How to Read the Bible series that we're about 10 okay. into. And then we're doing animated little trilogies or quadrilogies, I don't know, hep, hep, <laughs> five parts, <laughs> where we go through a section of the Bible, but with really beautiful animation, and it's really simplified down to its essence. We did the wisdom books, we did Sirius yeah. and Torah, um, we did Luke, and we're going to do Acts this year. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, we can see about three to four years more of okay. videos we'd like to make. Okay. And half of that list came into our minds in the last year. So okay. we're kind of, okay. we're just enjoying the ride and being, well, trying to be responsible. <laughs> you might be putting Bible college professors out of business because I, <laughs> no, I'm serious. So I remember uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I really started watching a lot of videos yeah. and I remember, you know, and I was teaching Old Testament survey mm. at a Bible college, small Bible college, you yeah. know, and I would watch as part of my preparation, I would watch a Bible college or a, a Bible project video, like oh. for, uh, for instance, on the, on the Psalms, on yeah. the Psalms. Yeah, sure. sure I'll sure, never sure. forget a couple of days before I'm going to give my lecture mm. and I said, I'm going to check out what mm. Mackie and Collins have to say about this. I'd watch your video, mm. jaw on the ground, mm. thinking, I'm going to cancel class. <laughs> I'm going to just have them watch the video <laughs> like five times. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm going to give a quiz on that video because there's mm. way more that you do in that video than I could ever do in a two, three hour lecture. Like, it's just like, yeah, I don't, there's something, the combination so of good. Um, the visual medium yes. with power lecture for some of them. And some of them are just John and I having a, a distilled conversation of an actual conversation that, you know, we had right. upstream of the video. And uh, yeah, uh, the combination, John loves brain science. And so it was part of when he was kind of crafting the skill and figuring out the possibility of these videos. There's some ratio of brain engagement huh. with length of time being not too long, but short, visual, oral, you're hearing, you're seeing, short time. You can do more in five minutes than you could in a lecture room in 60 minutes. Really? Yeah, in terms of what your brain is able to comp Isn't that remarkable? That's amazing. So he's really taught me the less is more principle when it comes yes, to these yes, videos. Yes. The cutting room floor is in, piled high with stuff when um, <laughs> we're finally done. There's so much stuff we leave out. But I've oh, come yeah. to see that that's a value, in, in, at least in these videos. Anyway, it's great. It's been an amazing journey. So are you, I mean, are you, from an outside perspective, it seems like you have like, for, for a Bible nerd, mm. it's like you have like the dream job. You mm. get to be a scholar. You get to produce stuff that tons mm. of people are watching. Mm. Uh, a wide spectrum of Christians, evangelicals, whatever, mm. really like you and mm. your stuff. It's like, who mm. doesn't want to learn more about the Bible? Mm. Like, is there, what's the mm. con? Like, well, what's mm. the, are, you know, are you, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what part of your job do you not like? Yeah, or is there a totally. part of it? Um, you know, uh, the, for me, the biggest challenge has been, you know, as part-time professor, 
I was in local church ministry and this was getting off the ground. So that, okay. I have about a three year period where I can now see I was going crazy. Doing too much. <laughs> Doing way yeah. too much. So to be honest, I'm just like 2018 is, I feel like I'm, it's the first time since I started grad school over okay. long time. Yeah, I, I've been yeah. living over my skis. And so oh, wow. I'm just grateful to be in a place where I was like, oh, I have a, I have a job with a workload that I can accomplish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. I really yeah. advocate having one job uh, for people. <laughs> anyway. I, I, have, I have one more Bible project question. Yeah, and then yeah, I want to get to, yeah. Then, then I want to get to know. Yeah. Get to know there aren't many cons. I, I really am pinching myself at this season of the project. It's pretty fun. So I, I'm... I don't know how to say this. I, you know, when I see the quality and the demand mm. of Bible Project, mm. part of me goes to, gosh, they could really monetize these things. Like mm. these are, mm. I mean, so much time, energy, money. Like yeah. you could yeah. charge money for these, and it wouldn't even be like, oh, now he's trying to make money. No, like this is like yeah. worth it. Yeah. But you guys, is it in principle, or and are you guys like, is this etched in stone that you you will never? These will always be free, mm. and is it because you have so, enough support from <laughs> donor support, or can, yeah, can you unpack that a little mm-hmm. bit? Just kind of how the Bible Project and mm-hmm. money and monetizing it kind of yep. is, is related. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. We it's a yeah one of our core values is generosity as an organization, okay. and we really believe in the gospel generosity ecology, yeah. right? The ecosystem yeah. that generosity yeah. creates and um, so it was really important to John and it didn't take him long to convince me that we would actually, um, come out better in the long run with this project yeah. if we didn't make a paywall or a subscription or anything. And so I just trusted him and uh, he was right. <laughs> so, yeah. So in terms of videos, stuff that we produce, yeah, we'll always be uh, available for free on our YouTube channel. We have, uh, some, broadcasters or media organizations have picked it up and our main license is just if you put it behind a paywall as an organization then you need to pay us licensing fees if you're going to pay people to watch it then tell them to come watch it here for free and if they (laughs) you know what i mean like it's just yeah because i think the entry of barrier i want the barrier entry to be zero the bible's hard enough to to work you know Uh so why should anyway so, yes, yeah. that's a principle that it all is for free. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. T- Tim Mackey, the person, you already said, you know, you're, you're a skateboarder. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a man of the church. You are very gospel-centered, Jesus-centered. You're also a scholar. Um, where on the, if I can say, evangelical, say, spectrum, mm. <laughs> the theological spectrum, do you... Mm. Where has your journey been? Were you raised super conservative mm. and now you're centrist? Were you progressive and now you're conservative? Or I, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't actually like any of those terms. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, how, how would you uh, describe your sort of theological sort of subculture? Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, the environment, like the skateboard ministry, um, could be you know, put in the broad category of extremely theologically conservative American okay. Protestantism. <laughs> okay. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't a political culture war slant to it. It was, it was a 
progressive outreach ministry in an urban setting to skateboarders. <laughs> so culturally, yeah. it wasn't, you know, right. conservative looking, uh, but just in terms of uh, approach to the Bible, ways of reading the Bible. My introduction to the Bible, you know, was in that, was in that kind of um, setting. Multnomah uh, uh, is in that same category too, but the professors I was most attracted to were the ones who were actually interested in just exploring the, the oddity of the Bible and how it doesn't actually fit our systems very well. Mm -hmm. I found myself drawn to those teachers. And okay. so I think that's why I ended up fascinated with history and language and the culture mm -hmm. behind the Bible um, was mm -hmm. because it, it just, it always, it's messy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there you go. So, uh, I have a really firm uh, commitment to historic Orthodox Christian worldview. Um, and uh, my commitment actually even is so strong that as I've learned more and more and more about Second Temple Judaism and the Jewish messianic nature of the early Christian movement and how much of that got lost in the history of Christian Orthodoxy, so I'm not like a Hebrew roots guy necessarily, but I, okay. I'm pretty pro rediscover the lost Jewish heritage. Okay, yeah. Because um, it's just the Bible. What I mean when I say that is the Bible. So yeah, there, uh, there you go. I, um, I'm nervous about the term evangelical mostly because of the last you know, couple decades of redefinition of that word. So I just prefer historic Christian Orthodox kind of thing. I'm curious about that. I, you know, I, I've got several friends that we have this kind of ongoing dialogue about yeah. whether the term evangelical needs to be rebranded mm -hmm. or ditched. Mm -hmm. Like, does it, and I, I, I don't, depending yeah. on the time of the day, time of the week, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it is so loaded with political stuff. It has yeah. a bad yeah. It's collected kind of a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet at the core, I love what the term's trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And yet, yeah, when but, people, uh, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. It's not an English word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Greek word spelled with English letters. Uh, right. Uh, but we have those baptism, Eucharist, whatever. There's yeah. lots of those yeah. in Christian vocabulary. Um, but uh, something about that word in particular, especially because there's so many other readily available substitutes that communicate the same thing. Uh, for me, it's about communication sure. efficiency. Yeah, you know, yeah. if a word is going to distract more than half of the people I'm trying to communicate mm. with, when there's a perfectly other good words that are actually more normal, then why don't I just use those words? <laughs> well, what would be a good substitute? I mean, just, you said historic Christian or Oh, if Jesus I'm talking to Christians about where I would locate, I, yeah, I am happily identified with historic Orthodox Christian belief and okay. theology. Um, if, uh, yeah, if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't have a framework for that, yeah, I would just word, use words like Jesus-centered, a high view of the authority of Jesus's teachings and of the scriptures that he appealed to and yeah. like normal language. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, huh. it's a big deal for the Bible project, but, it, but it, out, it comes out of my own personality too. Uh, and, and maybe it's just because of skate church. That was the name of the skate park, skate, skate church. <laughs> but it's just like, 
Jesus became compelling because going to that skate park every week, he was talked and talked about in language I could understand. Mm. And so I just, that's from early on, my first, I grasped who Jesus was because of other skateboarders yeah. using illustrations about ramps and like <laughs> skateboard parts to talk about. You know, the whole, and so I, I don't know that world. I, I, oh, I actually <laughs> skated when I was a kid, but I yeah. never was like a skate park type. Kid, yeah, but yeah, skate church. Yeah, so and, and I know that part of becoming a Christian means start learning new vocabulary. I get that. Yes, but yeah. there are some times where there's perfectly other good words. So yeah, evangelical. I mean, that's complex, and there's people that have very passionate opinions, and I'm not trying to put a sure. position out there. But I, in my context here, and for what we're doing with the Bible Project, just the words not gonna. Yeah, us. so that's why we don't use it. Who, who listens to the Bible? Pro- who watches the Bible Project? Do you have a, a really, mm. it seems to me like a really broad range of yeah. brands of Christianity. Yeah, that, right. is that, would, that be, would that be accurate or is yeah. it largely conservatives? Or No, it's the whole, whole spectrum. And we have different kinds of analytics. Um, YouTube gives us a lot of geography, okay. gender, age, demographics. So 60% male, 18 to 35 is okay. 60% of our YouTube, really? okay. YouTube subscribers, which is a pretty big sample. It's almost it's coming up on a million. So that's a pretty reliable percentage. Right. So that's interesting. That's also you, that's a general YouTube demographic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, but, and then in feedback that we get, yeah, the whole spectrum, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants of all stripes, whatever, everything. Mm. Um, to me, the most rewarding feedback we get is um, from uh, people who don't identify as religious anything, Mm. but they feel like they're able to understand what their parents or coworkers or friends believe now. And I can see, I mean, yeah, we straight up have had letters and emails from self-identified atheists saying, you know, Mm. thank you for what you're doing. You're helping demystify what, I used to believe. <laughs> uh, but, That's really yeah, cool. But there's something for me, just when, if you avoid, if you don't let the, the debates of our age determine what you're looking for. Mm. And I, to me, this has become the biggest challenge and project now, as I can see, is just to hear the Bible on its own terms, not filtered through what I want it to speak to, but really trying to listen to it and learn to read this literature along the, the weave, you know, the, or yeah. going with the grain. Yeah. And you'll hear all kinds of things you never expected to hear. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but it also, you find that many of the things that seemed so important maybe aren't quite as important as I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's been a great, great journey. So speaking of journeys, uh, we were talking before the show about some different theological journeys you've been on. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. of the questions that, I mean, in the nature of what I do, most of the questions I get have to do with sexuality, gender, LGBTQ, yes, questions. Yes, I would yeah. say... A, a, thank a, a you. Close... By the way, thank you for the work that you've invested in those questions. Sure, man. Yeah, Seriously, thank you. Helpful to so yeah. many people. Good. Thank you. Yeah. That's coming from you. That means a ton, man. Um, one of the questions that I haven't... And, and, I've, and I've kind of thought out loud about this on my mm. podcast mm. and... Mm. 
a lot of my audience, I think, is is trying to figure this out too. It, it really does have to do with like w- women mm. in leadership positions in church, women's mm. ordination, women teaching, however you want to word it. I, mm-hmm. I don't like women in ministry because ministry is mm-hmm. a broad word that, mm-hmm. of course, women should be in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. The question is, women does the Bible, you know, allow encourage, yeah, yeah, promote yeah. women in leadership positions? And and we're talking earlier how you've you've shifted on that where mm-hmm. you were at, on a more Mm-hmm. complementarian that only men should be in leadership positions in the church. But more recently, out of studying the Bible, you switched your view. Can, can you unpack that a bit for, yeah. for us? Yeah, you know, it has gone in steps. Um, and, you know, I've only once for about five years been in a position where I could speak into that issue in a local church. So I was here in Portland, the Door of Hope Church. I served as a pastor for about five years. So, you know, that was my, I had five years in an environment where it wasn't just about figuring out theologically and biblically how it works, but actually, what does this look like practically? Um, So those have been two really different important learning environments for for me. Um, But I've always, I, I seriously, I remember reading Bible for the first, reading Paul's letters for the first time. It's still like a memory that I have. And, uh, um, there were so many puzzling things in there, but definitely 1 Corinthians 14 and 11. Um, these are some of the classic passages where Paul says comments about some women in these churches and what they were doing. And I was just like, whoa, that's really interesting. Like that, that doesn't fit. Hmm. Um, well, let me say it this way. I was introduced to the Bible through Jesus. Um, I didn't care about the Bible. Jesus became beautiful and compelling to me. And so I just, I just really read the Gospels a lot and didn't, that was the first, my first entryway into the Bible. Hmm. And so I remember from the very beginning, just thinking like, hmm, the the thing that Jesus was doing with these kingdom of God communities, and then what I see Paul carrying that on, but then there's just these handful of passages. Corinthians, there's a couple, letters to Timothy, there's a couple, and how do they fit? Um, Because the way that I see people appealing to those texts in Paul and the, the things that they're building out of those, it, it is a disconnect. Um, so before I even had language for it, I've always tried to understand like, what's going on here. It was always a disconnect for me. Um, so anyway, yeah, where, where I'm at now, um, and I, I'm not happy with the terms of the debate, but in terms of I'll try and summarize it quickly because I'm bad at being concise. I heard it. So um, I think what we see in the New Testament, what we see in Paul's letters is an urban missionary who is trying to uh, steward the announcement of good news about King Jesus, that through his life, death, and resurrection, whole new future opened to humanity. And through the spirit, the life and love of Jesus and remake us individually and corporately together. Um, and Paul's gospel of freedom, right? Not slavery to idolatry or to certain interpretations of the Torah anymore. And if you look at what Paul, like the people that he mentioned in, in his letters, who he talks about as his co-workers, he mentions men and women, like all over the place as his co-workers. Um, and, you know, in, in the first century, to have women in the roles that Paul puts them in, where he, that 
in his like in his greetings you know when he talks about Aquila and Priscilla or Phoebe yeah. or Junia I know there's some debate on Junia but there shouldn't be <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean it's really remarkable like the on the ground uh, communities that he describes and that we see at work in the book of Acts are communities where women are being given a social mobility and a status and honor in those communities that was unknown in the first mm -hmm. century. There was no parallel um, to it. And so this is for sure why one of the many reasons Larry Hurtado and Rodney Stark, historians of early Christianity, tell us that this was one of the main reasons Christianity yeah. grew. So all that stuff started to sink in. And then all of a sudden I was able to come back to 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul um, is telling certain um, women, I mean, these are really complicated passages about head covering and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 14, 1 Corinthians 14, about evaluating prophecy. Um, and the more I've read and studied those texts, the more I see Paul um, using contextual strategies so that the witness of the gospel isn't compromised um, by people abusing this new freedom of these hmm. uh, that men and women have in the in these communities. Um, I think that almost every time you see Paul hedging in a particular church community, and there's not that many, there's Corinth and there's Ephesus, basically, um, is are precisely contexts where new Christian women would be most likely to uh, overuse their new freedom found in the early Christian communities. Okay. And then that's precisely, that's precisely what you see. I'm not being concise, am I? Okay, so let me, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go to, uh, and we don't need to get nitty gritty, but uh, yeah. the First Timothy 2. Yeah, 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 that's right. One. Yep, that's right. Uh, and I know there's a massive debate about when he says, I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority. That's right, yep. In particular, and, and again, I haven't done a lot of study on it, but mm -hmm. the exercising authority, authutane or whatever, it's a really unique mm -hmm. word, and there's a lot of debate mm -hmm. of whether he's, it's, intri it's an intrinsically negative kind of authority, mm -hmm. which wouldn't rule out all types of authority, or mm -hmm. whether he is ruling out all types of authority. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And then you have him appealing to the creation account. It's just, it's kind of a messy passage. Yeah. I, I remember looking at the bibliography of a commentary a oh. few weeks ago, actually, and I'm like, I, I just want to give up. I'll just yeah. focus on something easy like LGBTQ questions. Yeah, yeah, totally. it's like, I don't have time to read literally like 25 books written just on this yeah. verse and hundreds of articles, well, all sure. with good arguments. You know. So the, the problem is, you know, that one paragraph attracts all the attention. To me, it was most helpful was starting to read people who were talking about the communication strategy and the themes of that letter as a whole. From the f opening paragraph to the final paragraph, he's that letter is putting out a whole bunch of fires in Ephesus, okay. specifically for opening lines caused by false teachers who were deceiving um, people in the community, especially by their interpretations of the Torah. He says it in the opening paragraph <clears throat> that, yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah. myths and genealogies connected sure. to the Torah are at the root of the false teachers and what they're doing. And then in more than one place throughout the letter, he makes clear that the false teachers are targeting wealthy, influential women in the community, and some of whom are widowed. With that whole thing about the widows and like wealthy widows who have means to take care of themselves yeah, and that whole yeah. thing, it's all connected. And so um, in my mind, the most compelling explanation is that Paul's putting the kibosh 
on a group of influential elite wealthy women who treat the Sunday gathering as a fashion show and have mm -hmm. grabbed the mic and are, but they're not theologically trained yet. And so he just says, dude, get like start over <laughs> those, right? The ladies don't teach, let them gain a theological education. Let's do this whole thing over again. So when he says women, I do not uh, uh, allow women to teach exercise authority. He is thinking specifically of a spe well specific kind of woman in the church at Ephesus in that particular cultural context. Yeah, like that's those right. Those kinds right. of women I don't allow. That's right. And I actually think that makes the most sense of his appeal to the Genesis 3 story as well. Yeah, that one always throws me off. Yeah. Um, because Eve, when he says and talks about, you know, it was the woman deceived and not the man. Many people take him to be deriving a universal principle from that. Yeah, so somehow yeah. women are more susceptible to being deceived. Um, but Paul talks about Eve, Eve's deception and temptation in his uh, second letters to Corinthians. And he, ta he tells the whole church of Corinth not to be deceived like Eve. So for Paul, the Eve deception story uh, he can use it to describe all kinds of different people, <laughs> um, not just women. Does that make sense? In other words, so he, so he's not he's not appealing to to Eve as a symbol of femalehood, like what what that's Eve right. did. That's right. Is based on her femaleness, and therefore all females are more prone to deception. Yeah, that's right. You're saying he's just using that as a, as just an example. It's an example of um, how. There's, a, there's, actually, there's that little glitch in the Genesis 3 narrative, and Jewish interpreters from a long time ago have picked up on this, where it's the, in, it's the Adam, the male human, given the divine instruction in Genesis mm -hmm, 2. Mm -hmm. But then in chapter 3, the woman just, she knows about it, but we're not told how she knows about it. We're not told of the conversation. And then um, it's precisely, she misquotes the divine command, you know, she says, right, God right. says, don't eat don't of it and don't touch it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really interesting other things going on there. And then that's what the snake capitalizes on is hmm. now it all becomes these series of little misquotations. And so what Paul highlights um, is, precise, is precisely that breakdown of passing along the divine instruction, which creates a, a perfect parallel with these women. Hmm. They haven't been properly wow, instructed. Wow. And so what they need to do is take a time out and... A get a, get an education, and they shouldn't be the ones teaching the community hmm. right now. So I actually think it makes better sense of his um, comment. Ben Witherington has a, yeah, a commentary yeah. on the pastoral epistles, and yeah. uh, he works really carefully through that text, wades through the massive bibliography, and he's not the only one who says that, but he, he kind of brings together that, people who advocate yeah. that reading of the passage, and it just, and he does it in the context of the whole book, holy cow. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> I was going to ask you for, for, for uh, people, voices, writers, speakers yes. that have really... You know, and the other most significant contributor to this um, is a scholar, Cynthia Westfall Long. Um, yeah. Who's written a book called Paul and Gender. Yeah. It's fat, and it's yeah. systematic through his, all his letters. And, but it, he's develop, she's developing... A, a Paul's theology of male and female, distinct yeah. profile and their relationship is brilliant. Yeah. It's yeah. so brilliant. And to be honest, that's what kind of compelled me to finally okay. um, embrace the, again, what category 
Um, why I don't like egalitarian as a title is because that equality in our cultural setting can be heard by people yeah. as erasing gender difference. And to me, yes. that's exactly, that's precisely the opposite of what this whole thing is about. Yeah. The whole point is that Genesis 1, it's male and female, one humanity consisting of two gendered others, and that otherness in unity is the image of God. And so it's precisely the difference of gender that when it's brought together in the unity of the spirit of Jesus to reflect um, the wisdom and love of God and teaching and instruction and what it means to be human as a community of Jesus together, it's in the gender difference that the, that the beauty of the thing yeah. is shown. And so, uh, you know, some people use the term mutualism. <laughs> mutualism. <laughs> mutualism. Nice. I, I kind of like that, but whatever. I, I, yeah, I think Paul, um, when we watch him saying his comments that we often misread as misogynistic is Paul putting out fires. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the people he names, at the, the way he talks about power and leadership and authority, um, the, the, the leadership communities were as mutualist as their cultural setting allowed to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, but he cared mostly about the effective witness of the gospel. And so, like you see him in Titus, he's really concerned about the behavior of the women mm -hmm. there, and also of older men who drink too much. Right? <laughs> because it's, their behavior is going to make the Christian communities look repulsive, even to their pagan neighbors. Right, and right. so that's what he cares about is, so anyway, I explored the, some of this in the videos about Paul in, in the Bible Project, but okay. anyway, yeah. there you go. I, I could go on a lot longer. You could too, obviously, but. Tim, this is super helpful. My audience, I think, is going to appreciate this. So Great. yeah, thanks for your honesty. Yeah, I love absolutely. getting people as they're kind of fresh and the, the cement is still a little bit mm -hmm. wet as they're exploring. And, yeah. and the one thing I just love is to see people wrestle with scripture and, and yes. see yes. where's scripture taking me. And I'm not, I'm, I'm going to work hard not to project where I want scripture to go onto the scripture, totally. but, but yeah, let scripture critique my presupposition. Yeah, that's right. And it's the most difficult thing to do. I think that's why, <laughs> that's why, you know, anything I say now, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say anything now because it's like, well, this is where I'm at. But yeah. there's so many things where I just have had five more years to reflect on yeah. Genesis, whatever. And now yeah. I can feel I have more clarity. Um, Tim Keller has a saying, you're always stupid now. <laughs> like instead, of, you know, when you look back at yourself a year ago, and yeah. man, I, was, I didn't get it. So man. stupid back then. And he's like, oh, just start yeah. telling yourself, I'm stupid now. And then uh, at least it makes you humble in the moment. My wife and I often talk about, uh, you know, how we, we look at like our older generation, how they did things. We're like, man, how come they weren't more teachable and like yeah. understanding and, and, you know, uh, so authoritative top down or whatever. And like, you know, but we often say, well, okay, in 40 years, what are going to be yeah, our major totally. blind spots where our kids are going to be like, how could you think that way? How could you think that yeah. this was the right way to do things? Yeah, and that's right. So yeah. I think just having an ongoing posture of humility, I mean, is, is Yeah, that's all, all we can do. Well, Tim, love, love, love what you're doing for the kingdom. Um, again, I'm, I'm a, I don't think I've actually explained too much about the Bible Project, but where, I mean, I'm oh. assuming most of my audience, 99% yes. will know about it. Sure. Where can they find the Bible Project just in case they don't know what it is? Yep. How can they learn more about you? Yeah, I got it. Um, yeah, just uh, you can Google the Bible Project or just thebibleproject.com is our website. 
Or go to YouTube and search Bible, just Bible Project. Go to, okay. go to your computer, go to the interweb. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, to our, our short description, we're a nonprofit, crowdfunded animation studio, make okay. short films about all the books of the Bible, the literary theme, design and themes that run yeah. throughout the Bible. And we believe the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus, and that should be offered free to the world so everyone can see that for themselves. Highly, highly encourage my audience to go check that out if you haven't done so. And if you haven't done so in the last six months or a year, yeah. I mean, you, you guys are really cranking out a lot of videos in the last year, especially. So mm-hmm. go visit Bible Project. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I've taken my kids through a lot of the videos. So like from my... Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. From like, for me as a 42-year-old mm-hmm. Bible scholar mm-hmm. professor, I'm like, oh my gosh, that, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what Psalms, and my mm-hmm. nine-year-old is like, oh, so that's what, so, you know. Yeah, totally, it's just, totally. I, it's so <laughs> brilliant, like it's, it's the kids can understand it, and yet yeah. Bible college professors can be yeah, yeah. discouraged by watching it because they're like, crap, I can't match that. Yeah, so, um, yeah you it's, know, it's funny, it's, we, <laughs> we have never sat down in any video and thought about kids as a, oh. and, but I think it's just the visual medium yeah. and the commitment John had, and that I have full of, on adopted is just to simplicity and communication yes. it's not simplistic yes. but no. simplicity and communication can really bridge a wide audience oh it's so good and it's um so good. it's so funny we'll, we'll get into a video project that just happened with uh, oh, a video we were working on and we thought we were clear with with draft three of the script <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, some, some artists pointed out some things were like, oh, that's not clear at all. Oh, my gosh. We thought that was clear. So it's hard to be clear, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, it's you super know this. hard to be clear. Yeah. Oh. You're, you... you're a good writer. You're like a good communicator to oh, thanks, a broad man. audience. Yeah. And it's an enormous amount of work. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Yeah, and I yeah. uh, hope lots of people go to your website and YouTube channel as a result of this uh, talk. Yeah, Preston. So, Cheers. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Theology in the Raw. Uh, if you want to check out the pod, uh, so this is both a YouTube video. So if you're listening to this, go to my YouTube channel, Preston Sprinkle, and you will find a video portion of this talk. Um, if you're on YouTube and you just want to podcast it, this is also a podcast without the video. You can go there as well. So thanks so much for listening to Theology in the Raw.